This summer, I moved back to America from South Asia, where I worked as a Christian worker, working among unreached Muslims. And I lived in this context for about 18 months, learning language, adopting culture, and building relationships with Muslims, all in hopes of bringing the gospel to these people. And one day, I was traveling back from a major city known for its textile exports, where I looked outside the car window and I saw a crowd of people lifting up a char pie with a body on top and a sheet covering the body. And, and so a char pie is this wooden frame with rope strapped together in a sort of like a bed or like a lounge furniture. And so I sat there in the car looking at this man who had recently passed away, probably in the last few hours, and, and being lifted up and paraded around town while a crowd of people around him mourned the loss of him. I began to feel tears running down my face, and I started to feel a little emotional. I just saw a soul descend into hell for eternal punishment. And I thought to myself, what if this man was alive for me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with him? To share with him the resurrection power of God to share with him the power that brings dead things to life. I saw a man casted out because of his sin. He chased after idols and, and a false religion. And in return for his chasing, he is rewarded with eternal torment, pain, and suffering. Everything he knew was a lie, and yet he didn't know any different. If only he knew. If only he knew not to pursue those things. If only someone told him to pursue Christ instead, then this death would be a time of celebration and not of mourning, for this man would have been in the presence of a king. I don't share this with you all to cause pity for the old man, but I do hope that when I do share this, that you would consider for a moment that this morning that you have the privilege to hear the word of God that grants salvation. You have the opportunity, unlike this old man, to hear how God brings dead things to life. And if you're taking notes this morning, the, the main point of this message is it is only through God that we can find life. It is only through God that we can find life. Will you turn in your Bibles with me to Ezekiel chapter 37? Ezekiel chapter 37. And as you turn there, I want to provide us some of the necessary context to read this, these verses with the correct lens. So where are we in the biblical narrative? So we're in the Old Testament, but this is, this is long after King David. This is long after King Solomon. They both have died. The Israel that was once united together under these kings has been divided into two kingdoms. And Israel has forgotten God in the process. Kings came into power and, and prophets were sent to prophesy repentance in hopes that Israel would return to God again. Time and time again, Israel would fall back into idolatry and false worship. And now we pick up with this same cycle. Israel has once again abandoned God. And so God has decided to punish them by casting them out into exile under the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonians came into Jerusalem. They leveled the city. They destroyed the temple. 
And they chained up the Israelites and sent them into Babylon with their home in the rear view. For the people of Israel, there, there was no hope that God would rescue them again. Surely God was finished with them. They, they did too much wrong. They screwed up way too much, and this was the final straw. Then Ezekiel comes along. An Israelite in exile with his people, called by God to be a prophet, to hear the words of the Lord and to act accordingly. And up until chapter 37, Ezekiel has prophesied about the judgment that was to come for Israel and the punishment that was to come in the future for their idolatry against the Lord. But in the last few chapters and for the rest of the book, God is going to give Israel hope. And this hope will last for eternity. Deliverance from exile, a restored kingdom, and a shepherd king to rule over them. And this is where we're going to pick up, right in the middle of this promise. This passage that we're going to read not only brought hope to Israel, but my hope and prayer this morning is that we can share in this hope. Join me in reading Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were many on the surface of this valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone. And I looked and behold there were sinews upon them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as, I, as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is such a beautiful passage of scripture, isn't it? You can really almost feel the power of God coming off the page like the heat on a summer day when you look at the sidewalk. The power of God is so evident here. 
And, and I can't wait to dive into God's word with you this morning. And, and my prayer is that when we look at these verses and study them, that it will permeate our hearts and our minds, leading us into complete and uttermost worship of God and his word. But before we dive in, will you pray with me? Father, I, I come to you now, as Psalm 19 says, recognizing that your law is perfect, Lord. It is reviving to the soul and your testimony is sure. Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to fall fresh upon me this morning and to fall fresh upon this congregation. Lead me in the preaching of your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord God, you are my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. So we're going to go back to the beginning, and at verse uh, 1 and 2, this kind of sets the stage for us. Okay, so Ezekiel is brought by the Lord to a valley, and, and not just any valley, but one full of dusty, dry, and dead bones. Why would God bring Ezekiel to a valley and not the mountains? For it was typically where God would meet with his peoples on the mountains, Right? Ezekiel is brought to a location that symbolizes the current physical and spiritual state of Israel. Israel is no longer on the mountaintop, but in the valley low. No longer a united, powerful kingdom that nations feared, but now a shattered remnant of what was. They're no longer the worldwide superpower or the top dog on the rankings. They have abandoned the God that put them in power. They have now found themselves in a valley that is unfamiliar, a valley of despair, brokenness, and death. This valley where Ezekiel was carried in into Babylon was known for its idolatry. Matter of fact, some of the scholars even point to this location as the place where the Tower of Babel was in Genesis 11. Not only that, but also in Daniel 3, the, stat the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar built was also in this very valley. This is the place where Israel gave themselves over to the world, yet God brought Ezekiel to this place for that very reason. God was going to bring Israel out of a land of idolatry and into the land that he originally destined for them. He was going to give them life again. No matter how far Israel strayed from the Lord, he was going to bring them back to him. A nation that was once dead will be brought back to life. And for you this morning, no matter how far you have strayed from the Lord, no matter what valley you have found yourself in, God wants to bring you back into his arms and bring you back to life. The next point in your notes is the word of God has resurrection power. The word of God has resurrection power. I love how verse 3 opens. God asks this question to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I, I can't help but assume that there was a bit of hesitancy in Ezekiel's answer to God. Like, is this a trick question? I mean, of course they can't live, right? They're dead. They're not even bodies. They're just bones. And most of them are probably dust at this point. But, but I am talking to God. And he is the God of the universe, so I'll, I'll just say only you know God. It's important to note the name that Ezekiel uses in this affirmation. 
when he says, O Lord God. In Hebrew, this is Adonai Yahweh. And, and why is this significant? And this name attributes to God his absolute sovereignty over all things. And, and for those of you who don't know what sovereignty means, it just simply means supreme power and authority. Ezekiel tells God, only the sovereign God knows the answer. Only the God that has supreme power and authority over all things knows the answer. Ezekiel's response opens the door for us to see God's power at work. And to answer that very question, can these bones live? With an astounding yes, only you, God. We begin to read more into the explicit instructions that Ezekiel is given from God. Speak to these bones and, and watch what my words can do. What seems impossible is made possible by God and Him alone. I love how at the end of verse 6 we read that the Lord tells Ezekiel, You shall know that I am the Lord. He isn't speaking to Ezekiel when he says these things, because in the other verse where we read that, Ezekiel already affirmed who God was. No, no, he is speaking to the dry bones. These bones will know that I am the Lord. These things that were once dead will be resurrected and know exactly who brought them to life again. And it was no other but the Lord. God puts on display the power of the Creator, the one that spoke the universe into motion and the one that simply says the word and things come into existence. After God tells Ezekiel to speak, speak such things, Ezekiel prophesies as he was commanded. Then before his eyes, the very thing the Lord said that would happen occurred right in front of him. Bones came together to form skeletons, muscles and tendons wrapped around those bones and skin over on top of that. And there before Ezekiel were bodies, complete and together, formed out of the dust that once covered the dry bones. Genesis 2 seemed to be put in motion once again. Man has now been created out of the dust of the earth. Yet something was missing. The next point in your notes is the Spirit of God breathes life into dead souls. The Spirit of God breathes life into dead souls. The end of verse 8 says, but there was no breath in them. There was no life in their lungs. And then the Lord said in verse 9, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. And I can't help but picture like this was a scene from, you know, the movies where someone has either been knocked out or they've had a bad dream and they, they come to consciousness and they take that deep breath that <gasps> I believe that was the very same thing, the very same picture that we get here. Bodies that laid before Ezekiel put together but without a soul are then brought to life and then arise in a great number like that of an army. Only by the Spirit of the Lord. And I, I sit in awe of these verses because these bodies don't have any life until the Holy Spirit breathes into them. Genesis 2 is brought into fulfillment. In these verses, like in Genesis 2, Adam was not alive after he was formed, yet he was made in God's image. 
But until the breath of the Lord entered his lungs, until his soul was filled with the life-giving power of the Spirit, was he brought to life. I think what we see here is the value that the soul has over all things. Ezekiel is putting on display in these two verses, verses 9 and 10, that regeneration does not come from a physical resurrection, but a spiritual one, one that changes the soul. And if, if God prioritizes the soul over all things for true resurrection, true restoration, and true regeneration, I think we must ask ourselves, what are we giving our souls over to? Is it breathing life into us or death? What are we giving our souls over to? Is it, is it breathing life into us or is it breathing death? When we ask ourselves this question, we have to, to look at what's feeding our souls and, and also compare it to the Israelites. I mean, look at the state of these bodies at the beginning of the passages. Well, they weren't bodies. They were bones. A nation that gave themselves over to the things of this world, and look where it led to. They indulged in the practices of the world, thinking it would fulfill them. In church, at times, we're no different. Oh, how easily we give up the heavenly feast set before us to taste a crumb of this life, thinking it will fill us. We are the glutton at the buffet table asking for more and more of this world, but never taking a moment to stop and see how it's killing our soul. The Spirit of God is the only thing that can bring life to us. There's nothing on this earth that will fill you like the Spirit will. It is only through God that we can find life. And you see, a few hundred years later, after this vision, there, there came a man named Jesus, and he was the Son of God, sent to earth to live a perfect life and die on a cross to atone for or to pay for the sins of man. And prior to his death, one day Jesus was passing through Samaria, and you may be familiar with this story, and he came across a woman at the well in the middle of the day, and he came up to her and he said in, in John 4, and I love this, this conversation that he has with her, and he says to her, please give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman asked him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a, Samar a woman from Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But the one who drinks from the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water again. This woman had been feeding her soul with the things of this world. 
She had been sleeping and living with other men besides her husband. We go on to read that she was on number five. And Christ goes to her and asks for her to bring her husband. She said that she doesn't have one. And then Jesus goes on, and you, you may be familiar with the story, and explain every single thing that she's ever done. And he doesn't say this to her to condemn her or judge her in any way, but rather what, are you filling your, what you're filling your soul with will not last. It is only the water that I give that will never make you thirsty again. There will be a day when the temple will be no more, for, for the Father is seeking true worshipers, Jew or Gentile. Those who choose to worship the Lord will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Those who worship Him will be given eternal life. And it was that day that this woman left the well with the living water. The water that will never cause her to thirst for anything else. She left behind all the things that led her soul to death and turned to Christ. Not only her, but many in the town came to know Christ because of this testimony. And I love what they say at the end of verse 42, at the very end of this story. They say to Jesus, we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Christ has revealed himself in the same way to us, through the very words of that Bible that you have in your lap. He poured out himself so that we may have life in dry bones, life in our dead souls. These very words that the Samaritans told Jesus, these words in the Bible, came at the cost of being beaten, mocked, spat upon, and hung on a cross. A Savior's death paid for. A sinner's death paid for by a perfect Savior. The very words claimed by the people of Samaria would be thrown at him as a mockery and scorn. Oh, Jesus, you call yourself the Savior of the world. Well, show us, save yourself, pull yourself off that cross. And we ask ourselves, how could such a people who once honored God with their words and praised him one day would turn around and mock him the next? I know I get in that spirit sometimes when I read the story of Christ. How could those people who saw him right in the flesh turn around and mock him on that cross? And I think we should ask ourselves that very question. You see, we have the word of God before us. And on Sunday, we praise and worship his name. Yet the moment we leave these four walls, we're using our tongue to scorn and mock others and to crucify Christ with our words. Israel was, was no different. Going back to the text, Israel, uh, Ezekiel 37, verse 11, says, um, and this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Israel used to worship the Lord for all the great and amazing things that he did for them. Right, he led them out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness by a pillar of wind and fire. He parted the Red Sea. He broke down the walls of Jericho. He united a kingdom through King David. Yet they all turned their bodies and their souls 
over to the things of this world. They were spiritually dead, completely closed off to the Lord, and yet cried out to him for deliverance. Are we asking God to save us from our situations or to save us from our sins? Are we asking God to save us from our situations or are we asking God to save us from our sins? You see, Israel was asking for deliverance from their situation, from captivity in Babylon, from exile. Yet God didn't respond back, yes, I'll deliver you and that's what I'm going to save you from. Rather, he said, no, I, I have bigger plans for you. Verse 11 was Israel's lament to God. And the response from God was this very chapter to Ezekiel, this very vision. Israel asked for deliverance, but God said he was not going to deliver them from this captivity just yet, but from the dominion of darkness that holds their souls captive. The next point in your notes is the Lord will not forsake his word. The Lord will not forsake his word. The Lord responds to Israel's lament in the last three verses of this section. And it begins with therefore. And, and I love it when I read that word therefore in the Bible because it tells me that there's something more. That God isn't done yet. Therefore, since because of Israel's lament, God is going to resurrect Israel from the dead and bring them back into their land once and for all. Oh, my people. It would be wonderful to hear God say those words to us. Oh, my people. He says, oh, my people, I will bring you back into the land of Israel. And then verse 13, we see again, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Bones that once laid barren in an adulterous land will be brought to life for the sole purpose of to know who the Lord God is. The end of verse 14, I've spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. God makes a promise in this valley that he will do what he says he will do. Life will come to a forgotten nation and life will be given to those who believe and trust in Christ. Do you want to know what genuine faith looks like? It's not simply believing the words of God. But it's believing God. It's saying, okay, God, you said it, so that means you'll do it, and I trust that you'll do it. That's genuine faith. Israel heard these words, and they were given hope. They were given a reason to believe that God would rescue them. Israel put on display for us to see that we can also participate in this hope that Israel has. Israel trusted that God would resurrect them and, and give them life again, restoring their spiritually dead bodies. At the end of chapter 37, if you could just glance over on your page to, to verse 34, it says, My servant David, this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. There was going to be a day that a king would come, one from the line of David, to restore them. This would, have been give, this would have given Israel something to hope for, something to live for, 
to see a nation unified once more under a better king, a perfect king sent by God. But on this side of the cross, we don't have to wait for that king anymore. That man, Jesus, that I mentioned earlier, the one that provided the living water for the woman in, at, in Samaria, the one who was beaten, mocked, and hung on a cross, the one that died as an atonement, as a payment for our sin, for our, our idolatry, that Jesus did not stay dead. No, he, he rose from the dead on the third day, conquering death once and for all. He bore God's wrath so that we didn't have to. He died a sinner's death so we didn't have to. He rose from the dead so that we get to worship God in heaven for eternity. What Israel placed their hope in has now been completed by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And he now sits on the throne in heaven as king, as that shepherd king. A man that looked at a valley of dry bones and wanted to bring them to life for the glory and honor of our God in heaven. A man that knew you before you were formed in the womb. A man that knows the exact number of hairs on your head. Looked at you and I and covered in our sin, made a way for us to become clean. To raise us back to life for, for it's only through him we can find life. What does genuine faith look like? It is placing your life in the hands of the Savior, the Savior for the salvation of your soul. Believing that you were once dead in your sins in that valley of Babylon, but through Christ's sacrifice on the cross can be brought back to life. Christ never wanted us to be alone after his resurrection and, and ascension into heaven. He sent his spirit to live among us, Ezekiel 37, 14. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Those who trust in Christ Jesus receive the spirit as a sign that God never forsook his word to his people. He didn't forget us. And those who believe and trust in Christ receive the spirit to lead and guide them. What a precious gift given to us. The spirit that brings life to dry, dead bones dwells and lives in resurrected believers. As I close, I want to leave us with a quote from J.C. Ryle. And he says, The church may fail, the state may go to ruin, the foundations of all establishments may be shaken, the enemies of truth may for a season prevail, but as for us, all shall be well. We shall have in this world peace. And in the world which is to come life everlasting. For we shall have Christ. And having Christ, we have all. Amen. This is real good. This is lasting good. Good in sickness, good in health. Good in life and good in death. Good in time and good in eternity. All other things are but uncertain. They wear out. They fade they droop, they wither, they decay. The longer we have them, the more worthless we find them, and the more satisfied we become. That everything here below is vanity and vexation of spirit. But as for hope in Christ, that is always good. 
The longer we use it, the better it seems. The more we wear it in our hearts, the brighter it will look. It is good when we first have it. It is far better when we grow older. It is better still in the day of trial and in the hour of death. And it will prove best of all in the day of judgment. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that your word is good. I thank you that your word is holy and pure. Father, we just thank you for your power to bring dry bones to life, God. God, we worship you because you did not forget Israel and you don't forget us. God, we thank you for making a way for us. Father, as we sing this morning, your goodness. Oh, your goodness, God, we want to run after. Father, welcome us into your arms. In your son's name we pray. Amen.